A reading from the book of Nehemiah. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built a wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship. If you're a guest with us, thanks, Jonathan, for reading that. Thanks for reading it the way it was supposed to be read. I love that. Look at those inflections. 
Um, it's so good to be with you as we continue walking through this book of Nehemiah together. And as I was reflecting on this specific passage this week and preparing this sermon, it, it took me back to a time in 2014. Laura and I were in Seattle, and essentially we had um, moved across the country uh, to join a church and to do ministry with that church. And after two years there, I resigned from that position. And so the thing that was next was trying to figure out, okay, what's next? God, what do you want for us? Where do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? And there were a few months of just trying to discern and seek. What is God calling us to? What's he leading us into? And what became clear over those few months was, was God essentially saying, just because I've released you from this church, I haven't released you from being a pastor in this city for this time in this place. And so we moved forward with planting this church and pastoring people in this city. And uh, here's what I would say. This, this city didn't want another church. <laughs> if you don't know too much about Seattle, for a time it was um, the most unchurched city in America, um, the most anti-post-Christian cities in America. And it was a tough spot. And we even had friends during that time, people who deeply cared about us out of care for us say, are you sure about this? Or I, I don't know that you should do this. Maybe you should go do something else. Maybe you should take a break from ministry for a time, just different ideas and thoughts. But at the same time, I, I knew this is in this time of crossroad, this is what you're calling us to. And it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to require a lot and it wouldn't be without different types of opposition. And through the next five years, as opposition would come in different forms through the twists and turns of ministry and starting a church and then growing a church, I would find myself caught between this tension, if you will, of how I wanted to respond and how I should respond. And maybe you can relate with that. In fact, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I know that you can relate with that because you have all, we have all been called, and we'll get into that, and will be called to different things. And along the way, we will face opposition in one form or another, and it will present itself in different ways again and again and again throughout our life. Now, let's just define this right at the beginning. What are we talking about when we say opposition? Here it is. Anything, anything that tries to keep you from moving forward in what God is asking you to step into. Anything that is trying to keep you from moving forward in what God is asking you to step into. And so the question isn't if this will happen, it's what do we do when it happens? Whether you're 15 years old, whether you're 50 years old, anywhere in between, what do we do? How do we respond? Thankfully, this is something God cares deeply about because God cares deeply about you. And what we see in this passage that Jonathan just read and we're going to dive into and look at is we get a clear answer out of God's love. And this passage is actually meant to encourage us no matter how discouraging opposition that we face at different times in our life is. So if you'd pray with me, uh, we'll dive in. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this specific passage. I pray that you would speak to us now wherever you find us. God, for some of us, maybe you're leading us in a certain direction right now, and, and it's tough, and, and we're, we're not sure exactly what it's going to look like or how it's going to play out, but, but it's clear that you're leading. Would you settle our hearts? Would you give us peace? For some of us, we've been pretty resistant. We know that you're actually 
leading us certain places, but it, it may not be exactly where we want to go or where others want for us. God, would you encourage us? Wherever we are today, would you find us there, God? And through the power of your spirit, would you speak to us for our good, for your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We good? Let's dive in. Here's some background. If you haven't been with us or if you have, just a little reminder, the book of Nehemiah, the Jewish people have been exiled for over 70 years. God allowed the Babylonians to essentially come and take over and the people are spread out. Why did he do that? The people were rebellious. You see this throughout the Old Testament, the people following God and then rebelling, following God and then rebelling. And so God reaches down, he speaks to Nehemiah and Nehemiah is grieved. He's grieved by what's happened. He's grieved that this wall of Jerusalem is, has been destroyed, that it's found in rubble. And God tells him that I want you to go and I want you to rebuild. And Nehemiah is working for the king and the king takes notice that Nehemiah is, is sad. He's, he's pretty bummed out by all of this that's going on. The king says, what's happening? And Nehemiah in faith says, I would like with your permission to be able to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild this wall. And the king grants him permission to do that. And so he returns. It's not safe. He goes through dangerous territory with the king's blessing. And last week, if you were with us, he's making plans. He's preparing, which is important. And what we see in this passage is they start to take action and move forward. So let's dive in here. Now, when Sanballat, isn't that a great name? Don't you wish some of these old names just stuck around? <laughs> like, if you have a kid, I, I, I'll give you $20 if you name them Sanballat. Um, I don't know why these didn't stick. Uh, now, when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry. He was greatly enraged. Wasn't happy about this. Sanballat, uh, spoiler, not Jewish, a Gentile, did not want to see the Jews flourish. And he jeered at the Jews, as, as Jonathan so clearly um, showed us. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the armies of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burn ones at that? Like what they're trying to rebuild. They don't even have the right stones to do this. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, and this is, this is the ultimate burn, right? Yes, with their building, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down, their stone wall. This quote from William Still, I believe is important. It says, it is impossible to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to not incur the opposition of the world. It's so true. And at the same time, this doesn't mean that we walk around with a victim mentality or that we walk around as victims. Woe is me. But it does mean that we're not surprised when opposition comes. No matter what that looks like, maybe that's aggressive opposition like we see here, right? Or maybe it's gentle opposition from a family member, from a friend, from those who want the best for you, right? It also doesn't mean that we buy into this false prosperity gospel that if we just have enough faith, God's going to make our life easy and we're never going to face hard things and he's going to give us everything we ever wanted. That doesn't line up with scripture. And so we, as those who are part of the family of Christ, should expect opposition to come in different ways when God calls us to certain things. And so how does Nehemiah respond here to this jeering? He says this, Hear, O God, we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Don't cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And then, and this is interesting, so they built the wall. And at the wall, and as the wall, all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I don't know if you noticed an intense prayer from Nehemiah. 
(laughs) He's asking for some pretty intense things to happen to these people that opposed him. What this shows us, I think it's pretty interesting, is the difference between reactive anger, which can be sinful, and righteous anger. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah. See, reactive anger would have been if Nehemiah heard these jeers and he said, all right, we're going to go toe to toe. I'm going to step up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop. We're not going to build the wall. We're going to go attack these people. We're going to take care of this. How dare they, right? And he reacts. That's not what we see here. What we see here is a righteous anger that comes from a heart of realizing that God is being offended. And so he immediately doesn't go into action. Instead, he immediately goes to God with this. He hands it over to him. He offers up these requests, but he ultimately leaves it in God's hands to do with what he's going to do. And then what do they do? They continue. They continue in what God has called them to, to build up this wall. It reminds me of the verse, can't think of the passage right now, but essentially it says, don't take vengeance for yourself, vengeance is of the Lord. Let him take care of it. You continue to stay focused on him. And that's what we see. And as we continue to move forward in this, we see that they're unified and they're building and the wall is built up to half its height. So all of a sudden, these people who were jeering are now even more angry. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So as God's plan takes root, the opposition intensifies. It gets stronger. And as Nehemiah and the people, is their response to back down? Is their response to reassess? Maybe Maybe to compromise a little bit? Maybe to rethink things? To change direction? Here's their response. And they prayed. And we prayed to our God. And we set guard as a protection against them day and night. Matthew Henry, a theologian, he says this in his commentary. This was the first thing he did. Before he used any means, he made his prayer to God. For with him, we must always begin. But how? How are the people able to respond this way? This is no small thing. Their life is at stake. There are leaders and armies who are threatening to attack to come and not just, not just stop them from building, but if you notice it said, to kill them, to destroy them. This is as high as stakes as it gets. And yet they continue in this work. How is this possible? Here's how. There was a clear call from God. And this call trumped everything else. So they would move forward. And this is really the big idea for us today in this passage. When God's call is clear, opposition presents an opportunity to trust in Jesus, not change direction. An opportunity to trust in Jesus, not change direction. So a good question here is how how do we define calling? What are we talking about here? Because there's a lot of different ideas about calling. For the sake of our passage and what we're looking at here, here's what I would say. Anything that God is asking you to step into, anything that God is calling you to walk in. This could be large or small. Uh, It might be a career shift, right? It might be the college he wants you to go to. It might be the place where he wants you to live. It might be a certain people, a neighborhood he wants you to live in. 
anything that God is asking you to move forward in, to step into. Now, there's God's general call. And if you have a relationship with him, this is a general call for every single one of us. It's to himself, it's to his church, and it's to others outside the church. This is true for every single one of us. God is calling you to himself. He's calling you to his church, his people. He wants you to be connected. He wants you to be with it. He wants you to be tight in community. And he's calling you to take the mission and message of the gospel to others around you. True for every single one of us. And every specific calling along the way, something specific he might have for you goes underneath that general calling, which is unshifting, never changing. So how do we discern these specific things that God might be calling us to? Well, here's three things. Here's what, here's what I literally, personally think through if I believe that God might be putting something in front of me. Here's what I ask. First and foremost, does this align with God's character and his word? If it doesn't, toss it out. God's not going to go against himself. He's not really into that. He never has been. He's not going to be. So put what you believe he might be calling you to up against his word, up against his character. Does this align? Secondly, and this can be challenging, is there any selfish intent in me with this calling? Is this a demand that I simply want to believe God is calling me to? And I know this can get tricky and we really have to examine our heart here. But this idea of calling, especially over the years, has become something that can be used and abused in certain ways. If I want a certain thing and I don't want you to say anything about it, all of a sudden I can put the stamp of, well, this is God's calling, so now you, you don't have permission to speak into this at all. Right? I know, it's tough, but... So we have to examine our heart here. Is there any selfish intent here? Is this a demand? And another great question to ask, because the Holy Spirit is in every single other believer, is are other brothers and sisters who care about me, are they affirming this in my life? Now, this may not always be the case, but a lot of times there's a good chance as you bring certain things to light and people know you and you're in community with them, they'll be able to affirm and speak in. And so there's some good ways to attempt to discern a calling. Now, going back to the big idea here, when God's call is clear. Now, this is important because sometimes, guess what? God's call isn't clear. We're doing what we want to do. And opposition is actually a thing of grace. Like, thank goodness somebody steps in and says, hey, I really don't believe this is of God. (laughs) Or God steps in and says, I did not call you to this. I have not asked you to do this. You're going on your own right now. And so by his grace, sometimes there's healthy opposition. So the important piece here is that God's call is clear, right? A couple weeks ago, I was at um, my in-laws and we went out on, on their boat and like three minutes in to the boat ride, this alarm starts going off that is deafening. And we knew it was going off because Silas said, he says this a lot right now, I'm getting freaked out. Um, <laughs> this little three-year-old, stop freaking me out. That's his thing. If he tells you that, it's endearing. It's a thing of love. Um, and so we have to go back and, uh, and I get on the official you know, diagram for the boat, which is YouTube. And I, I'm like, what's happening here? And it looked like there was just a bad sensor. And so we spent a couple hours uh, getting to the sensor and disconnecting it. And we're like, all right, all good. Let's start back the boat. And so we did. And there's some different alarms going off now. And then the boat turned itself off. And it was like, I don't want to be on right now. And it wouldn't start back up. And so as you would, you keep going. You're like, this boat should work. 
And so we spend the next several hours, replace the battery, replace a lot of things, and the boat still won't work. And we're so frustrated. We're so angry because we know it's this little sensor and it's keeping us from being out on the water. A week later, reach out to my father-in-law. Hey, did you get the boat thing figured out? He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it figured out. Um, so the boat was overheating and uh, there was a blocked uh, water line. So thank goodness we weren't able to get the boat up and running because it would have blown the engine, right? Good opposition. We should have stopped. So sometimes opposition could be God's grace, but if God's calling is clear, there are some ways we can discern that. Now, I had a lot of college students ask me this when I was working with college students quite often, and that was, what about when there's multiple paths, multiple things that we can do? And, and I'm not being selfish in it, and it looks like I could go several different ways. How did, there, it was so paralyzing. How do I make sure I'm doing the right thing and I don't end up in the wrong path? And what I would say is, could it be that God cares, he's big enough, and he cares even about the how more than the where? Meaning you could go to several different places or do several different things, and God cares about how you're going to be there, wherever that is. He cares about how you're going to love people there. He cares about how you're going to sacrifice when you're there in this job or that job, in that city or that city, that he's big enough that you can walk through different paths and he cares about how you are when you are there, that you're a representative of him. So God's call, they had been clearly called. And as we continue in this, they continue to build. And in Judah, it was said, verse 10, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we are unable to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Here's what this means. This was a sign of God's provision and his protection. God is never going to lead you into something and then be like, all right, good luck. See how it goes, right? He is providing for these people along the way. They have allies that are outside of the camp, that are outside building the wall. And these allies are coming and they're giving them intel of what the enemy is going to do so that they can prepare, so that they can defend themselves. And here's their response. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked in a rose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, this is so key here, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What God has called us to and will call us to will always involve building up. It'll always involve building up others to Jesus and Jesus to others. You see these people coming together, and Nehemiah says to them, he's giving this cry to them, this plead with them, do not be afraid of them. Remember how awesome our God is. Essentially, don't forget that the one has called you here to this place in this time is greater than any opposition you will face. And he's saying that to you today. He is greater. And not only that, as you remember his greatness, what does he say to do? To fight What's interesting is he doesn't say fight for your life, fight for yourself. He says, let's look at it, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, 
in your homes. What a beautiful picture of the church here. That we fight for one another. That we come around one another. That in gospel community, it's not just about me, it's about you. It's about brothers and sisters. We fight with each other, with each other in a good way, not the bad way, but we come together. We link arms. We're here for one another. When you're broken down, I help pick you up. When you have doubts, I speak truth into your life. This is what's incredibly different about the church than any other thing or community you could find in this world. We come from different backgrounds, traditions, stories, brokenness, all of it. And what brings us together is Jesus unifying us and making us more than just a club or community, but making us into a family. A family that loves one another, that supports one another, that speaks truth to one another, that holds one another up. Here's what I'm saying. You're not meant to go it alone. You can't do it. You were never made to do it. Is the church messy? Absolutely. Is it worth giving your life for? Absolutely. That's why Jesus gave his life to enact it. I I love the picture here of these people locking arms, coming together, fighting for one another. And what a powerful defense against opposition to know that you're not in it alone. Love it. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. They keep going. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And as a leader stood behind them, the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each one labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Interesting picture there. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side, while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. That is a really interesting picture, isn't it? Holding a weapon in one hand and working with another. I mean, picture working with a trowel or trying to lift bricks and holding a spear in one hand. Now, every single commentary, even though this is cool, every single commentary I looked like was like, this is not literal. Um, Because you cannot do this hard work with one hand. Danger. Um, The foreman, hey, put put that down. You can't hold a knife while you're doing this. You're going to, you're going to hurt yourself and others. But this is meant to be a picture of not only moving forward in obedience, but being on guard. Having this mindset, being aware and on guard. We are always supposed to be moving forward in our faith, but also on guard to anything and everything that might seek to step between us and God. That's what they're doing here. So where does opposition come from? This might be a good question. Well, it definitely comes from the outside. You see that here. It can come from culture in and of itself, cultural opposition that says, hey, what you believe is nuts. I oppose it. I'm against it. I'm going to show you that. I'm going to try to bring you down a notch. It can come from others who don't understand why you do what you do, why you believe what you believe. It can come from the enemy, prince of darkness, who seeks to destroy. So it can come from the outside. A lot of time it does. It can also come from the inside. It can come from those who absolutely love you to death. And they do not understand why you would do this or why you would do that or why you would go in that direction. And even though they don't understand it, if God's call is clear, it's like, okay, but, but God is leading me this way. It can also come from circumstance. <laughs> this wasn't easy work. It was hard. It's an opposition in and of itself. When God calls us to something or he puts something in front of us, a lot of times maybe it's not going to be the easiest route. 
It can come from self. Sometimes we do not want to do what God asks us to do, right? Sometimes we don't want to be, it's like, I don't know if I want to be in this community or not. It's like, ah, oh, but God called me to it. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, right? And so there are different ways that it can come from the outside. There are different ways that it can also come from the inside. It can be discouragement. It can be frustration. It can be a, a number of things. Here's what it leads on to say is these last verses. And this is, this is so key here. This is really the bedrock of where this entire passage and more than a passage, a story in these people's lives where it lands. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great, widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, one from each other. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there. And here, here it is. Ready? Our God will fight for us. Maybe you just need to hear that today. Maybe you legitimately are in a place where you are trying to be obedient to what God has asked of you and what he's asking of you. And you just need to hear that your God will fight for you. Not just with you, he will fight for you. Meaning he will go in front of you. He will go before you. That whatever you are going to face, God's already there. He loves you that much. He cared about these people that much. He wanted to protect them that much. The weapons of God's people that we see in this passage are two things, prayer and obedient action. They go to God and then they continue on. All grounded in an unmovable trust in God that our God will fight for us. Martin Luther says the God whom we worship is not weak and incompetent God. He is able to beat back gigantic waves of opposition and to bring low prodigious mountains of evil. The ringing testimony of the Christian faith is that God is able. And no matter what you face, here it is, the greatest hope that you have in the face of any opposition, Jesus. Jesus. In this chapter, we see that the people, quote, all plotted together against them, just as people would plot together against Jesus. He would be opposed at every turn from the outside kings and leaders and people who didn't agree and didn't understand his words and his actions because they were all completely countercultural. They opposed this message that he brought, this mission that he lived into, one of love, lowliness, and sacrifice. He would be opposed from the inside as one of his closest, his disciples would even betray him, turn his back on him, He would be opposed at every turn. Just as Nehemiah wept over the destruction of this wall, God has been so moved over the destruction that sin has caused. Moved to the point of sending Jesus, his one son, with a clear call and a clear mission. Not to overcome the world by building up an earthly kingdom and reigning on an earthly throne but to overcome the world by laying down his life so we could pick his life up, something that made no sense, and yet it was a clear calling from the Father. He was opposed to the point of death, death on a cross, but he didn't choose a new direction. When this opposition came, he actually took on, he took on the opposition's sin, you and me. He took on the opposition's deserved death, you and me. And in verse four, Nehemiah says they are despised, this foreshadowing of this servant king who would be despised. 
Look at this from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This despised servant king would take all of our rubble, all of our selfishness, all of our pride, all of our waywardness, our rebellion, our doubts, our evil, every single bit of it. And he would rebuild you. He would rebuild me. He would rebuild us with his very life so that we could be safe again, so that you could be safe again, so that you could go from being enemy to friend and even more than that, from being enemy to family. Is there any better news? And as a part of that family, knowing that whatever might come our way, that we have a God who fights for us. This family that now has a clear mission and a clear message, one of hope that we take forward. So how do we respond to this? Well, I would say the same way that we see in this passage, prayer and obedient action. Maybe there are places in your life where you know, if you're honest with God, hey, I've been, I've been pushing back against your call in my life. I've been, maybe I've been pushing back or I've been hesitant to really give myself to your church, to your people. Maybe I've been really hesitant to give myself to you, to pursue you as you pursued me. I just want to confess that. I want to be honest about that. Maybe it's something specific that God has put in front of you and you, you know that he's calling you to this, but maybe you've been resistant because you're like, that just seems too difficult. That seems too hard. That's not what I want. Would you confess that? Would you just bring it to him today? To also ask, maybe you're unsure. Maybe you would just ask God, what are you, what are you, what are you calling me to in this season? Is there something specific? What are you calling me back to? Would you show me, and and through the Spirit, would you reveal that to me? To listen, this is so important, to listen to him, to listen to your brothers and sisters around you and the community he's placed you in, and then to act, just like we see in this, to take obedient action, to move forward for your good, for his glory. Church, when God's call is clear, opposition presents an opportunity to trust in Jesus, not change direction. May we be faithful to live that out. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for fighting for us. God, in this room, you've called all of us to your body, your church. You've called all of us to yourself. May we be obedient to that call, first and foremost. God, may we be obedient to love our brothers and sisters in here and to to love those outside of here. And God, to sacrifice in ways that doesn't make sense to anybody else, but it makes total sense to you. May we give more than others would give. May we lay down our life in ways that others wouldn't, God, because that's what you're leading us into. God, for those in this room that are trying to discern specific things that you're calling them to, would you make it abundantly clear through your word, through your character, through honesty and through your people. God, may we be a people who obediently and faithfully live out whatever you lead us into. God, maybe there's somebody here today, honestly, just uh, this isn't said as a platitude. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been really resistant of Jesus. Uh, You've thought that you had to get your life completely together. You thought that you had to clean yourself up before you could have a relationship with him. Maybe you had a different idea about who he was, about what he wants from you. He 
He, he, he wants to show you so much grace. Would today maybe be that day that you say, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give into this call. I, I, I want to be a part of your family. I've been trying to do all these different things. I've been running my own direction. It's not working out. I want to give you my life so that I can have your life. And he promises that he will meet you there. Jesus, thank you for fighting for your church. Thank you for fighting for your people. May we keep our eyes and hearts on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.